Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of Hoppy Night in Canada. Sitting in North Vancouver, I'm John. And sitting in my aunt and uncle's TV room in Victoria, my name's Dave. So as we covered in the last, uh, well, in the, I say the last, the first Taster episode, Dave, you have recently moved uh, to I Victoria. Have. I have. I've relocated. I am no longer in Vancouver. I am now in the birthplace of craft beer. Well, no, it's hard. It's hard for me to call it the birthplace of craft beer, but the maybe epicenter of the craft beer explosion in British Columbia. The birthplace would have to be Horseshoe Bay because it, the first craft brewery in British Columbia was at the was the former Trollers Pub, uh, which no longer exists, which was the first uh, incarnation of what's now How Sound. I actually didn't know that story at all. Um, that's new to me. Now you do. Hey. But then after that, pretty pretty shortly after that, Swans and Spinnakers opened up in Victoria, and Victoria has been a craft beer stronghold since then. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I feel like I had an awareness of Victoria breweries um, before a lot of the ones that I that I now know and love uh, in Vancouver. Um, I feel like Driftwood, yeah. Driftwood was a mainstay from when I moved to Vancouver uh onward i want to say yeah totally i mean i i mean victoria will never have the volume that vancouver does just because victoria doesn't have the population that vancouver does but without the breweries that are in victoria i don't think we would have the breweries that are in vancouver yeah that's fair that's a that's probably the most succinct way i could put it bold statement i'll allow it So, so yeah, uh, we're, we've uh, we've got some interesting stuff to cover. Uh, it's a new year, and so we're going to be taking a bit of time revisiting some of the predictions we made in uh, a previous episode. I think, if I remember correctly, it's season two, episode three. Either way, it was the first episode we recorded in 2017. We made a bunch of predictions about what we thought craft beer was going to do uh, over the course of the year. So we're going to revisit some of those, see which ones we got right, see what we missed, and then we're going to make... Uh, some new predictions about 2018 state of craft beer where we think we're going next yeah so that's a that's a pretty broad topic um and we should probably hop right into it let's do it um Uh, so starting off uh you want to take us into your beer of the moment i do um this one i was a little bit late to the scene on and i wish i had picked up on it earlier in the season uh but my beer of the moment is sweater weather from yellow dog it was Yellow Dog's um, Winter Ale, which they brewed in collaboration with Seafox, uh, the uh, the or the Seafox's Jeff O'Neill show, um, one of the radio stations in Vancouver, and it was a uh, charity charity brew. Uh, it is a a riff on their standard porter, but has. Uh, spices added and a small amount of lactose or not. Yeah. Small amount of lactose added at the end. So it's kind of a milk porter. Um, but it really tastes like a cookie. Like it is a <laughs> cookie in beer form. Cause it's got, they added, I think they added cinnamon, nutmeg and vanilla and a little bit of sweetness from the lactose. And it's awesome. That's a lot going on in a porter, but it is fair it, enough. It really is. It was very much a, um, and we're going to talk about this style of beer a bit later, but uh, it very much was a, there was a lot going on, but in a small sample size, I shared a tall can. It was really, really delightful. I don't know that I want a huge amount of it, but for a cold weather beer, it was great. That's fair. That sounds pretty good. 
Yeah. And it's, I mean, I remember seeing it in the liquor stores for the last maybe month and a half. It's probably still fairly widely available. Um, I know it's available in Victoria with pretty big amounts, so it's probably still available on the mainland as well. Nice. So what about you? What's your beer of the moment? Um, so I'm actually going to go, because it's uh, it's been a little while since we recorded a full episode, over the holidays, uh, I was out in Ontario, and uh, my so I'm gonna, my beer of the moment is a beer that I actually got to have over um, the Christmas holidays uh, from a brewery called Rouge River. They're based out of Markham, which is a city north of Toronto. Was staying near there and uh, and happened to drop by the brewery just before Christmas and got to try their boysenberry sour. Oh, uh, wow. It's very nice. Um, they, as far as I understand, I haven't looked into the brewery that much, but as far as I understand, a lot of the beers that they make are one-offs. So they're trying, as far as I understand, to not repeat recipes too much. Okay. So yeah, I'm not really sure what the availability of a beer like that's going to be now, considering I had it, uh, we're recording this mid-January, so I had it uh, almost a month ago. But in general, Rouge River, I got to try a couple of their other beers as well. Uh, it was really nice. And so especially for any Ontario listeners, um, if you happen to see them on a menu somewhere, I would highly recommend checking them out. Well, yeah, I mean, I, it's not a brewery that I've ever heard of. Yeah, I think they are still in sort of small-scale distribution. They were not open when I left Toronto, uh, right. which would have okay. been fall of 2016. Uh, I remember they announced that they were opening, but they had not yet opened. So they're still relatively new, but um, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Right on, right on. That sounds, that sounds delicious. And uh, maybe if I ever get a chance to get out to Toronto, I will make an attempt to find them. Rouge River. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back and look at our the predictions that we did make. I believe, like you said, it was season two, episode three. We took a look at what we thought was going to happen in 2017. And in general, I think we did pretty okay. We're going to talk about something that we missed, but I think in general we did pretty okay. Um, the first prediction that we made was more barrel-aged slash sour beers. I think we were pretty on point with this one. I think this, I mean, this, granted, was uh, felt like an easy one to predict, but um, we weren't wrong. Yeah, I think we nailed, we nailed that one pretty good. Um, and like you said, it was a pretty easy one. I think that just as craft beer is developing, you're going to, like, we see a more varied taste, and sours are just kind of a more specialized beer. And so we're seeing more of an appetite for such a specialized beer. Mm -hmm. I mean, just in Victoria now, there's a brewery opening very soon called Il Sauvage that is going to specialize in just sour and wild beer. You were, uh, yeah, I mean, you you were telling me about this before the podcast, but uh, yeah, that's something that I'm very much looking forward to. Um, yeah. That seems like a good idea. And, and it's funny, I think we've called out in previous episodes the idea of like, could you know uh, does vancouver or, or or bc in general like have a have a varied enough craft beer market to support a sour only brewery in the vein of a of a cascade brewing in portland right um, of course something along yeah. those lines and so i find it funny that yeah like apparently we have got to the point where like a, that's a brewery is, is staking their entire claim on that and uh and we'll see how it goes but i'm excited yeah yeah i'm looking forward to trying it i uh bought into their founders club membership which i mean it's 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 a pretty similar program to strange fellows fellowship which i was a part of in vancouver um i i mean it's a way for breweries to raise some capital mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's an interesting way to do it um 
my worry is that things like that will cause some breweries to be um, a little bit too insider clubby exclusive, which I don't want to happen. Um, Strange Fellows has never really felt that way. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done an excellent job of, you know, appreciating the people who supported them in the fellowship, but not making any like not making it seem like you're better or special in any way. You just happen to have some money that you were willing to, to lend them. <laughs> well, and one of the things that I like about that, like not not being uh, a member of the Strange Fellows fellowship or club or whatever it is one of the things that i like is if you go to the brewery you can actually just get tasters of the the special release beers that they put out as part of that club so you don't have to necessarily buy in to be able to try those beers and there it's a fairly reasonable cost to get a taster at the brewery itself um so that idea that yeah if you're if you join the club you get a couple of bottles to yourself but if you just want to try it uh, you're probably going to be able to as long as you're uh, somewhere in the vicinity of the brewery itself uh, which you'd have to be anyway to be a part of the Founders Club. Exactly. So, I mean, that it is something I'm a little bit concerned about if more breweries go that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Dogwood did a Kickstarter before they opened. I didn't buy in, and I don't remember what the, the reward levels were, but I'm pretty sure for them it was just like they just needed another one little more push to get going, like to fill up their grain silo, basically. And so, like, that's... It's it's a it's an interesting way to do it because as long as you're able to make some beer, you can then sort of pay back the Kickstarter funding. Yeah. So, but I do I do worry that I do worry that a little a little bit that it could there it's it's potential for things to get a little bit yeah ins, insider baseball-y. Yeah, yeah. It it definitely has that potential, and I think um I mean I know this is bigger in the states but i've run into this sometimes where you know uh breweries doing super limited releases uh encourages sort of long lineups and and things like that and i can sort of see maybe breweries trying to split that difference of saying like well we we want to do limited releases of beer we don't want to kind of torture everyone by having to do raffles or or lining up for hours on end just to get this beer and so like kind of offering just the financial incentive of like hey if you fund this project like we'll make beer just for you yeah. Um, I can see the argument, but at the same time, like it does, I, I'm on the same page as you, like it's a little uncomfortable or like it could go in a bad way. Well, I mean, one of the things that has always appealed to me about the craft beer community in general is that it's really inclusive. I mean, there are some things about it that are, can be troublesome at times, but it generally is a lot more inclusive than say, wine connoisseurs or scotch connoisseurs um and part of it is we've i know we've discussed this multiple times on different episodes and so i don't want to hammer too hard but part of it is just it's a uh you know cost of the entry point Mm -hmm. right it's way cheaper to buy a couple bottles of beer than it is to buy a couple bottles of scotch yeah lower barrier to entry for sure yeah yeah okay so one we nailed sour beers yep on that note should we have a sour beer? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we should go ahead and do that. Cool. Our first beer for this episode is on the twenty seventh theme of more barrel aged and sours. Is a kettle sour. We talked about kettle souring a few episodes ago, um, and how it's a you know slightly easier process in terms of making sours than than aged sours. Um, this one comes from Moon Underwater, 
It's called Copper Kettle Sour. The label reads, From the deep, dark depths of the Pacific, a mysterious microorganism emerges. The scourge of the macrobreweries, Lactobacillus, imparts its acidic influence into the kettle. Each batch highlights a unique ingredient to ensure your desire to explore is perpetually satisfied. So it's a nice, I don't know, honey color? Yeah, I'd go with that. Yeah. And it's got a really tart nose. I'm getting a lot of acetic acid on the nose. Yeah, but it is it, it is a very kind of tart um, nose to it, like you say. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's give it a try. Oh, that's that's really nice. That's interesting. I'm not I'm not sure I'm 100% sold on it. It's like the tartness is there. It's not nearly as sour as I expected it to be from the smell. No. It's I like it. It's not a terribly good I'm going to say it's not a terribly good seasonal beer. This would be great in the summer. This would be a good patio beer. Yeah. That's maybe that's what I'm getting from it. Um, you know, time of year that we're recording and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing uh I'm, yeah. I'm finding it hard to identify what it is, but I'm just like, yeah, this is not, it's not a bad beer. It's just maybe not what I was looking for. I think it's I think it's quite pleasant. Um, it's a pretty nice, just like tart kettle sour. It's really not very sour at all. Yeah, especially based on the nose. I was expecting much more tart mm-hmm. nature, but no, I quite like it. Yeah, it's maybe. I might know what it is. I, I, I think in general, you know, recent, uh, maybe recent sours that I've had have either uh, aired on the side of much, um, much fruitier hops being chosen or introduction of fruit in the sour itself. And so, like, right. I think I was expecting that. And so it kind of threw me in that, like, I don't, there's not a lot of, of that character in it. And again, like, that's not the fault of the beer. I think that just might be kind of, I went in expecting something and got something else out. Yeah. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Um. I think it's good. I would give this a, I think it is just a kind of a nice, good sipping kettle sour. I'd give the, give this a seven and a half. That's fair. I'll go seven. Okay. The, the, the neutral vote. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, nothing. It's bad. I just don't know really what to say. I just don't feel that strongly about it. Um, there is, there isn't really anything defining about maybe, it. Maybe that's it. I just, I don't find anything standing out that much. It's not, soup you know it's it's a little tart but it's not super sour it's not um it, it doesn't have like a really strong kind of malt backbone to it it doesn't have a really strong hot profile it's just sort of there i think yeah it's kind of it's almost like a blank canvas Hmm. i almost feel like you could like they could play with it a bit but as a starting point it's it's a nice reliable steady beer i think yeah yeah that's fair I think a good comparison to this in another style of beer would be just like a plain pale ale. Yeah, this is like this is like the pale ale of kettle sours. Yeah, that's um, it. It is. It is. That's like that's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's. I'm gonna cite that, and for that <laughs> reason, seven out of yeah. ten. There you go. There we go. Cool. Pretty good. Um, all right, our next prediction. This is one that I. This was one of my predictions, and I'm taking the L on this one. Um, I didn't quite. We didn't quite get there, but my prediction was that BC brewers and craft brewers in general uh, were going to find an archaic style of beer, uh, and it was going to become wildly popular. 
something that would be, you know, a dusty notebook in Belgium or Germany somewhere would be blown off and, or the dust would be blown off of it and a beer recipe revealed of a style that was dead for 200 years. <laughs> um, and the reason I, my prediction came from as a result of the popularity of Goza the year before. Mm -hmm. um, and it just didn't happen. I didn't like, there wasn't one weird archaic style that everybody jumped on and did. I mean, I saw the my, the only thing that comes even close, and I don't think it's fair, but the only thing that comes even close was I saw a lot of Baltic porters this year. Uh, but this isn't even the first year that I've seen Baltic porters. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's sort of maybe, but, like, in general, I'm taking the L on this one. Nothing, nobody came through and got me a weird old style of beer. I thought maybe we'd get a whole whack load of Gratzers or a whole bunch of... Uh, I don't know. I can't. That grass yeah. is the only old style of beer that I can I, think of. Like, that, I, that, that I, comes to mind. I saw some. I don't know if I saw more Gruets than I did the previous year, but like I kept seeing Gruets, which I'm like, all right, I guess. Gruets, uh, for the for listeners who don't know, are. Um, are, are a sort of one of those uh, ancient styles of beers before the cultivation of hops. And so the sort of bittering or preserving agent is. Um, some other collection of herbs other than hops. And it's kind of a wide open field as far as I understand. And they're generally terrible. Yeah, like I've never had one that I've really liked. Um, they're generally awful. Other than the novelty. I know like Bows, uh, which is a brewery out of Ottawa. They've recently like expanded their distribution this year so you can kind of find them all over the place. And they, they make quite a few um, nice beers. Um, they, I want to say two or three years ago, like got super into making Gruets. And at one point I went to an LCBO and they had, I think four different Gruets on the shelf from Bose. And really? I, you know, like give it a rest. Uh, yeah. I, I get the novelty, I guess in that, like it's, it's probably a challenge for the brewmaster and it's probably kind of something interesting and it's a, it's a more open field to play with, but um, I've, I've never gotten behind them. And, and, yeah. and like I say, I saw, I feel like I saw a couple this year, um, but I wouldn't necessarily say more than previous years. It is funny, like this this prediction um, actually ties into a, an article that I saw and a prediction that I was going to bring to the table. So I'll, I'll save it for later. But um, it, it is possible that we're just running out of uh, archaic styles of beer. I mean, not to say that there won't be like movements of popularity in them. Like you say, like Gratzer's a known quantity. Maybe next year is the year that like everyone kind of picks up on them. But like may maybe, maybe it's more of a just... Maybe we're getting to a point where they're all known quantities a little bit more, and that's not to say they can't become popular, but there's no, there, there are fewer new discoveries to be made. That that's very possibly true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we're at one and one. So our the 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 next one that we had, I actually forget who had this one, but um, the continued rise of the hazy IPA, which uh, yes, uh, we nailed it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mission Boy, accomplished. Did we ever. I don't. I don't think that there was a more popular or kind of divisive style of beer this year than um, than the hazy IPA or the Nor or the New England IPA or the Northeast IPA, however you want to call it. They're all kind of the same. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're divisive amongst beer fans. They're more just kind of divisive around brewers because some brewers that I have talked to myself – uh, just claim that the first one, the, the the big ones that became popular, particularly Heady Topper uh, from The Alchemist, uh, were, made, were made by mistake. <laughs> it, 
it was like, oh, you did badly on brewing a beer, but people really like it. Maybe you should have done better at brewing a beer. It's like, well, but if people really like it, continue brewing that style of beer. Yeah, that's a that gets into a very interesting corner where it's just like, yeah, can it be, you know, if it was unintentional, but you stumbled onto something that it turns out people really enjoy, like, can it be considered uh, a style in the same way of like, uh, I don't know, something that was purposeful experimentation, I guess. Yeah, um, totally. But I mean, if you're if you're in a, a different industry than, say, brewing, someone like Bob Ross would just call it a happy accident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. Um, wasn't penicillin discovered by mistake? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, penicillin, hazy IPA is basically the same thing. Basically the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I find it interesting. Like, uh, one of the things that I, I found interesting about this trend was that there was a range. Like, in some ways, I... I may get in trouble for saying this, but like in my mind, like even things like milkshake IPAs, which felt like this very niche thing, um, fit within the spectrum of like, we started to move towards, you know, um, different uh, varieties of hops, especially fruitier kinds, addition of things like wheat and, and maybe more adjuncts into the beer to give it that haze and a different kind of body or mouthfeel to the beer. And then it became this like spectrum. So that's, I feel like one of the things that I found interesting uh, about the trend of, of hazy, hazy IPAs or hazy beers in general was that it kind of felt fun and different. Like you didn't fully know what you were going to get with a lot of cases because everyone was trying something a little different. I mean, case in point, the, I, I brought it up in, in our first taster episode, but the hazy white IPA from Fieldhouse in Abbotsford. Um, yeah, which I, after, after the day after we recorded that episode, I went and bought some and we tried it and it's delicious yeah it's great and like but you look into it and they're like cool they're they're it's almost this sort of fusion of styles of aim for a hazy ipa but they're gonna throw some weed in there's gonna be some coriander there's gonna like they're gonna have some of these characters of belgian wits and then they're gonna introduce that into uh you know a, a beer with high ibus and i guess that's like maybe we're reaching a point where like it's some of these things it's hard to call them ipas in a traditional sense is maybe why people are getting annoyed at it <laughs> could be could be for sure like uh, it more just means like we're we're experimenting with styles uh, of haziness and high ibu yeah and i mean and i think one of the things the nice things about the hazy ipas um is they're a little bit more accessible from non-traditional ipa drinkers Mm -hmm. like they're you'll see a hazy ipa that goes up to like I don't know, 60 IBUs or something like that. But there are flavors beyond just the bitterness. Yeah. That are there that kind of not dull in the bitterness, but take some of the focus away, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, you have fruitier flavors. You've got, um, you know, there's a, there's some more, there's probably some sweetness in there. Like it's, it's not just the punch in the mouth with hops flavor that you get from, you know, your traditional West Coast, California style IPAs. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and like, I think that's, um, like, is me editorializing, but, like, I think that's a good thing. I think that, like, for for a, a window of time, yeah, like, the defining version of an IPA was that West Coast, California style, super, super bitter, and that's the only thing you get, right? It's just scales of how bitter this beer is going to be. And so, like, I don't know, like, it's a nice evolution uh, in my mind. Uh, of the uh, of the idea of like we can have things with higher than normal IBUs, uh, but we can we can do more with it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But yeah, I, I I don't think there's any argument that like this was something 
incredibly prevalent the entire year. Oh yeah. They were, it was, it had to have been the most popular. And like you said, um, it wasn't just IPAs. The, I, I think it was just a Brewer's Row collaboration out of Port Moody this year mm-hmm. was a hazy pale ale. Yeah. Um, Parallel 49 currently has two hazy pale ales yeah. in their rotation. Yeah, and, and one of them uh, has entered now their year-round. Um, like, it's it's part of their standard lineup. Like, I think there's there's a measure of popularity that you can say just by like, okay, are, are people making these not as one-offs, not even as limited releases? Like these are, these are entering the stable of like, we're going to do these year round. I think yeah. that's a good argument to say like, yeah, these aren't going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And on that note, uh, as this was another successful prediction, uh, let's, let's try one. All right. Sounds good. For a second beer of the episode, we have, the beer we were just talking about. So from Parallel 49, uh, I believe it's the newest entry uh, to, to their year-round releases. Uh, it is the Trash Panda India Pale Ale, uh, specifically cited as a uh, Northeast-style hazy IPA. Upon pouring, relatively small head, uh, very hazy. cloudy. Yeah, hazy, it turns out. Hazy. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Yep. So I was looking it up uh, on, on their website because I was curious. Um, so hops included are cashmere, laurel, Simcoe, and citra, pale oat and crystal malts, and an English ale yeast. It's funny that you mention the Simcoe. I could sm- like I, I gave it a smell, and I could smell the Simcoe hops because they they like they're such a distinctive hop. Mm-hmm. Like they're the ones that smell like evergreen trees. Yeah, and you can smell it right off the top. Which I, which I very much associate with, um, you know, big IPAs, but also like a lot of beers in the Pacific Northwest because that's where they, yep. you know, that's that's a cultivation point for them. So like, it's a very, like, it feels like home. Totally, totally. All right. Smells nice. It's got a nice, it, it has a very hoppy nose. Mm-hmm. Um, strong on the Citra, or sorry, strong on the Simcoe. I can smell a bit of Citra. Yeah, it's an interesting blend just because like Citra is such a strong, well, like in, in general, like the, the fruitier, I feel like what at least something I've been noticing recently is like uh, IPAs that lean heavily on the more like piney kind of evergreen style hops um, versus the IPAs that that go the other way towards the very fruity style ones. Like mixing the two is interesting. I'm curious to see yeah. where it goes. Oh, I like that a lot. That's nice. That like it feels like it oh, shouldn't I, work, but it does. <laughs> oh, I, I love that. Yeah, that's really good. I like that a lot. It's. Um... It's not kind of like the first one. It's different than what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. It was, it's um, maybe not as traditional a hazy. Yeah. Well, it's, it's hard to say a traditional hazy because that's just not a thing <laughs> as we've discussed. Yeah. But it's, it has a different, very, a different flavor profile on the hops than a lot of the hazy IPAs. Yeah. A lot, a lot of hazy IPAs that I had this year uh, or this past year were just leaned very heavily onto um, Citra and other like super, super fruity um, hop varietals. Well, um, and even even to the point of going to like the the south, the southern hemisphere hops. Yeah, like a lot of the New Zealand ones and things like that. Um, so yeah, like this is an interesting mixture because it still has some of those kind of like West Coast IPA notes. 
but it's also got a bit of the fruit. It's kind of a nice blend of the two, which like I wouldn't, I wouldn't think would work as well as it does. Yeah. No, the uh, the their website cites uh, huge amounts of dry hopping give this beer complex notes of melon, tropical fruit, and pear. I get a little bit of melon, and I do get a little bit of pear actually. Website nailed it. Website nailed it. That's yep. right. Cool. Yeah. This um, is really nice. I'm I'm glad this uh, appears in uh, six pack cans and that it's uh, it's going to be here on release. Yeah, me too. Easy go to. I, I enjoy this. This is a um, and it's not again. It's not punch you in the mouth with hops. Mm-hmm. There's a certain amount of bitterness and some good hop flavor, um, but it's complex enough that there's a little bit of yeastiness. You can taste some of the malts. Um, in general, it's a really nice beer um, that is pretty accessible. Yeah, enough that this th- this feels like a good entryway into if you're if you're unfamiliar with IPAs or like present day IPAs, like this would be a good place to start. I think it's an interesting blend of like, what do you like about this one? Okay, cool. There's different directions you could go based on what parts of this beer you like the best. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm giving this a strong eight. Yeah, I was gonna go eight and a half. There you go. I think I'll 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 vouch for this one. Yeah, this is a this is it's a nice beer, and it will it is one that I would be happy to order on the regular. Yeah. So I think we had one more. No, sorry. Excuse me. We had two more predictions uh, from last year. Uh, yeah. So one of them, um, one of them was that uh, Berliner Weiss was gonna was gonna be the the beer of summer. I believe. Yeah, I think I boldly predicted that it was going to be the summer of the Berliner Weiss. Yeah. And I would say I was neither correct or incorrect. <laughs> I'm taking the I'm I'm taking the weasel's way out on this one. There were a lot of Berliner Weisses that were available this summer. They weren't as popular as I was expecting them to be, mm-hmm. but there was it was still a widely available style. Yeah, I I saw a few. Um, I, I was going to say the funny thing about this, like I don't think I had a single Berliner Weiss this summer. So, I I think I fall more on the side of like uh, this may have been a miss. But um, but I do acknowledge that they they were present in the summer months. Yeah, I'm just I'm a, I'm honestly a little bit surprised because it's so. I would have thought like Berliner Weiss is the perfect summer beer. It's a traditional summer beer in Germany. Um, it's a like sours are very popular this year, as we already talked about. I really thought that you know it was going to be a confluence of things that would lead to. It being the summer of Berliner Weisses. And I guess, yeah, I guess, actually, you know what? I will take the L on that one. I, <laughs> I, it was not, it did not happen. That's fair. It did not happen to the to the scope that I thought it would. That's fair. Uh, so our, our last one was, um, I think, relatively accurate, though maybe a little vague. Um, and so maybe we had a wide range uh, to, to walk into. But um, the last prediction was that breweries were, were going to have to start doing different things to stand out and differentiate themselves from each other. In a, more, in a more crowded field, you know, craft beer, the market share is growing, more breweries than ever are opening, and breweries are going to have to start standing out from the pack in different ways. And that's, that's a fairly wide range. I'd say we got that one right um, in that I, I, I think... There are definitely breweries that I associate with certain things over others, and that's the only reason why I think of them. So so in that sense, like, I'm going to say we got this one. I think so, too. There were different, lots of different ways. Like you said, it was vague. 
but there are lots of ways that thing that places differentiated themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, one of the new breweries in Vancouver this year was Andina, and they differentiated themselves by doing supposedly South American beer. Yeah. Did they do it terribly? Well, eh, that's debatable. But <laughs> they at least, they were trying to be different. Sure. Uh, another one I think of is Superflux, another Vancouver uh, brewery, uh, notable for two reasons. One is that they they are a they're an itinerant brewer, so they've brewed out of a couple of different facilities. They don't have their own brewery though, and the other is that they have been sort of cornering this. I mean, to speak of hazy IPAs, but like in general, their their thing has been IPAs, pale ales, uh, airing on the side of hazy. They're all really good, but they they've sort of narrowed a niche for themselves. Um, yeah, they make some of probably they make some of bc's best ipas and that's pretty much all they want to do yeah there are some of the newer breweries uh, that have been that that opened this year i think we're probably under a little bit more pressure to step up in terms of having a thing that made them stand out um yeah for example there, there are other breweries that open this year uh that like don't come to mind because there's like there's nothing that differentiated them necessarily even if their beer was good it was just like well what what was you know what was their thing? And I hesitate to say gimmick because I think there are like it gets a bit into predictions for this year. But like, um, I like I wouldn't call Superflux a gimmick. I'd say that like they found a niche and they're and they're sticking to it because they think that's where they're going to be most successful. And so far, it's worked. Well, that like that's it. It's not a gimmick, but it's what's your thing? Yeah. What do you What do you do that makes you special? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So I think I think we got that one. Yep. I mean that's pretty good. Five predictions. We got. I'd say we got three out of five. Yeah, that's all right. That's a that's a decent track record. Yep. So before we get into predictions for this year, and we talked about this uh, a little bit before we started recording, but uh, were there any uh, trends that you noticed over the last year that you think we missed going in? Like things that you didn't expect to happen that happened? Going to the liquor store right now, there's a lot more wax-capped beers than there probably ever has been. That's actually a really good point. I, I hadn't I'd noticed it without ever acknowledging it, I guess. I mean, Main Street Brewing did, I think, three different wax cap beers by themselves at the end of 2017. Um, <laughs> you've got the ever-popular Singularity, which dropped on Friday. Yep. There's a lot more of those sort of big, maybe cellar-aging beers, mm-hmm. uh, or cellaring beers or aging beers or whatever you want to call them, like the wax cap beers. There were more of those towards the end of this year than there have been in the past. And that's something I wouldn't have predicted. Yeah, it's a good point. I wonder if it's a function of, you know, so, I mean, Main Street maybe is a good example where like they're, they've been around long enough now to start producing things that that, that they've had the time to barrel. Age. I mean, we talked about this before, but like uh, have had time to, uh, to barrel age for a little bit longer or, you know, build up a repertoire, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think, I think some of it also comes down to, um, just sort of a conf- the confidence in a brewery, mm-hmm. you know, some of, some of the newer, not new, but newer breweries are maybe on a, you know, a little bit more stable economic footings now. Like they've paid off more of their capital investment and they've, um, you know, they, they have a decent market share. They've got a good revenue stream. They feel that they're able to take some more risks and do some more things like that. Maybe it's a function of that. Yeah, could very well be as well. Um, so you you mentioned that you have a trend that we perhaps missed. Yeah, so I've got the 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 one. I this this one had been mulling, 
on my mind for a little bit. And then I went to the liquor store today to pick up beers uh, for this episode. And uh, I happen to notice that there's a there's a new release maybe uh, for Red Racer Brewing in Surrey, and it's a it's a stout, but it's a s'more flavored stout. So s'mores, the graham cracker, chocolate, and marshmallow, um, but in I've a stout. I've had it. It sucks. Yeah, that I was not gonna buy it, and uh, it's good to know that that was the right choice. Um, so the thing that I think we missed uh, was the rise of pastry stouts. The the term, <laughs> semi derogatory term, I guess, um, for these like stouts that are full of you know vanilla, cinnamon, cocoa nibs. Um, marshmallow like sugary Cher- flavors cherry yeah and coconut and vanilla yeah like you said vanilla and yeah totally. yeah and like i there were so many of them this year that i noticed and like i in general like i i tend to avoid those i did end up getting a couple um one of the ones that i noticed that, like multiple breweries did this year was a horchata stout so taking yep. on milk stouts but adding some of the flavors traditional for horchata which is a sort of uh mexican it's like a, it's a refreshing drink made with like rice milk and cinnamon and things um yeah, and it's and it's delicious and you know what i tried a lot of those a lot of those stouts yeah um some of them are really good yeah some of them super suck yeah so if you google pastry stout uh the first thing that shows up is a chicago tribune article from november of last year saying the boom in sugary pastry stouts shows craft industry forgetting what beer tastes like. <laughs> and uh, the very next one is an article from Good Beer Hunting, also in November, uh, called We Make Eclairs, We Want to Eat the Pastry Stout Problem. Um, it was clearly a thing. I noticed a lot of them on the shelves. And and it's interesting. I think it, it, it touches on something that we've kind of hit upon, which is like, in some ways, this feels like an extension of the, like the pumpkin beer issue. Yes. Where like there 100%. are, yeah, like every fall slash Halloween, like a bunch of breweries come out with pumpkin beers, which are really just like pumpkin pie flavors in beer. And like some people love them. A lot of people really don't like them. And like uh, it, this feels like an extension of that same thing of like, what if we just flavored a beer with so much like sugary and other stuff that like it didn't really taste like the base beer. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And it, like I said, some of them are, some of them are fine. Some of them are good even. Like the the my beer of the moment from earlier in this episode is what you would call a pastry stout. And it was really good. I mean it's it's calls itself a porter, but Yeah. It was good. However, uh some of them are less good. Yeah, and I I I wonder if I mean, like all things, it depends. Um because those those flavors or those additions to beer aren't in and of themselves a bad thing right like i have i, I have a beer uh, sitting around currently from twin sales i think which is there um they did a barrel aged version of a, of a, a horchata stout so it's aged in rum barrels but it's got you know hints of cinnamon and vanilla and, and something else going on um I, and, I tried that beer before we left vancouver oh yeah holy god is it good oh i've been i've been sitting on it for a while and like it, it was there i think they released it around there I was going to say first anniversary. I'm actually not sure, but it was, it, they, they had an anniversary release party where they put out four or five different beers. And, uh, and yeah, that was one of them. I've been sitting on that bottle for uh, since then. It's, it's super good. It is. It's, but it's also crazy strong. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the main reason why I've been sitting on it is because, uh, I need, a, I need, uh, I need help cracking into that one. Totally. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think it's always like, it, it's a matter of scale of like, there are going to be some beers that, that overuse these ingredients and just like hammer into them. And it's just going to be this kind of sugary mess that doesn't really taste like a beer. And then on the other hand, like I, I mean, using chocolate or vanilla or coffee or like any of these other things in, in especially darker beers, porters, stouts, that sort of thing, like that's been around for years. And so the difference between like use and overuse maybe is like, it felt like this year there was a tipping towards overuse and yes. I, and, and like maybe there, there's a balancing act to follow there. And clearly like, again, we were saying it earlier, but like, I think if, if, if breweries are making these things and like, they must be popular to some degree. Yep. Um, so they must have a market and, and like, you know, uh, it's a, a, back to the thing of like, is, is it a is it a thing or is it a gimmick? Like, I think it's hard to say. It feels a bit gimmicky. Um, not the use of those ingredients themselves, but maybe just like overindulging in them uh, to a maybe point of excess. Yeah, we. I think we kind of had the same sort of thing maybe three years ago with fruit f- with fruited wheat beers. Mm-hmm. There were lots of them. Yeah, and some of them were delicious. Yeah. Some of them were less than delicious, but it kind of, we got to an almost an overused saturation point. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and like, like so many of these things like that, you know, there's, there's the hype cycle and then eventually it kind of levels out. And I think, I mean, we even talked about this early in the year with, um, with kettle sours, right? Like I had some horrible kettle sours this year. Um, oh, I also had some amazing terrible. ones. Um, yeah. but it's like, it, it, there's, they're finding that balance point of like how, how sour is too sour find that point if everyone's going to jump on it because it's clearly, you know, uh, th- there's a, there's a desire in the market, um, for that type of beer. And then some people are going to end up opting out cause they can't make one that actually, you know, fits the bill. Yep. So, yep. Cool. Um, let's get into predictions for next year. Let's do it. Uh, we, I mean, we have to throw out some predictions so that we can look back and laugh at ourselves at how wrong we were. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say right off the hop, this one's not going to take a lot of discussion because we probably already have, but also for like, again, for next year, uh, hazy IPAs are going to be big. Oh yeah. They're going to continue to be big. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say if, if like a hundred percent agree, um, to like just duplicate the same from last year, if anything, I, I, I think we may, we may see in the next year, the start of the backlash against it in terms of it may get overused, right? Yep. The techniques to make a beer hazy, um, you know, throw some oat in there or throw some wheat or whatever. Like some of those things may start to get overused and there may be sort of a backlash in the sense of like, not everything has to be a hazy beer. Um, I, I do not look forward to the first hazy amber ale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like uh, it's, it'll happen, but like, but I mean, like we were just talking about, I think it's, I think it'll be, there'll be some good experimentation and maybe some people will push on the trend too hard. But like, even if we see that, I think, I think we're still going to see a lot of good beers come out that fit within that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. It's not hazy. Hazy beers are going nowhere. Yeah. Hazy IPAs and hazy pale ales. I, it's going to be, I I think again, it's probably going to be this year's biggest style. Yeah. So one that I've got on, on the topic of styles, um, and this one, full disclosure is not, um, this is not an original creation. I uh, I was reading uh, the Growler, which is um, a sort of craft beer. I think it's quarterly magazine that Qu- comes out. Quarterly, yep. Yeah, you can find them at most um, 
breweries uh, around at least lower mainland uh, sell a copy. It's like two bucks to buy it, and it's it's a directory it's of breweries. It's not. It's five bucks a copy now. Is it five? Oh man, inflation is killer. So, so again, this was a an article that showed up, uh, and I read it online. Um, they, uh, I, I I forget exactly who the author was, but there was an article about 2018 being the rise of loggers, and. I, I read it and I'm fully convinced, actually. So, so I'm just I'm going to co-opt that prediction uh, and apply it to our podcast too. I think that the um, it, tying back to what we were talking about in terms of like when does a trend become a gimmick and and when do things kind of go too far? And in some ways, like there's been a lot of experimentation and and I hesitate to say excess in terms of like beer styles and and trying to figure things out and whatever. There's like there's this super fertile ground that a lot of breweries haven't. Uh, I, I think been experimenting too much with which is lagered beers, but I think I, I am fully on board with the idea that like that is probably going to change. And I'll, I'll cite two things at least. Um, I, I think in the last couple of days, I was looking on Instagram and I think Red Collar Brewing uh, posted something about you know three new beers that they have. Two of which were I think they had a Marzen, a dark wheat beer, and. Uh, can't remember it may have been a kolsch uh but either way two of them were lagered beers um vancouver island brewery which has been around for like 30 years but has recently gone through like a rebranding effort every single time i see them on the shelf they've got some sort of lagered beer going on they've got a dark lager they've got a a, a mexican sal cerveza they've got you know the the push on the idea that like there is room for interesting things to happen in, in the logger space, I think is somewhere that has sort of been underexplored in the last few years in favor of things like big stouts, sours, Northeast IPAs. You know, there, there's a bunch of other stuff that's been going on. And I think like, I, I think there may be a return to a feeling of like, there's room to grow in the logger space. I'm going to expand. I, I will agree with you on that. I'm going to add maybe a prediction B to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, whether lagered or not, I think we're going to see a rise again of maltier beers. Ah, okay. Or or not necessarily hop forward beers. Yeah. And I think it's going to be as the community as a whole matures beyond just the most hops you can pack into a bottle. Mm-hmm. I think people are going to want well-made versions of non-hoppy styles whether that is classical american lagers like you said and there's if anyone who's listening is looking for a good example of a classic north american lager that is actually legitimately great uh get your hands on it's just called old style lager by red arrow brewing comes in a bomber with a label like that looks like it would be a beer label from the 70s um and it's legit awesome. I've had it a couple times. Um, it is a great, great lager. Nice. Um, but also, I think we'll see more good amber ales. I think we'll see... I mean, it's not a beer for me, but I wouldn't be surprised to see more brown ales. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that, like the non-hoppy beers. Yeah. I think we're going to see that. I'm on board with that. Yep. My next prediction, I think that 2018 is going to be, and I think it already has been started, and I think maybe this is a bit of a tail end of a trend from 2017. I think 2018 is going to be the year of the cans. I think we're going to see so many breweries moving away from bottles into canning 
And I think that, I mean, we're already seeing breweries that didn't produce any, uh, port, let's say portable beer other than growlers that are starting to can. Yeah. Um, particularly the one that jumps to mind obviously is brass neck. Yep. Before six months ago, if you wanted to take brass neck beer away from brass neck, it had to be in a growler. They now have cans and can growlers available at the brewery. Yeah, and that's a big change, right? Because, like, Brass Neck, I mean, makes some of the best beer. I'll, I'll couch it with, like, in BC, because I haven't drank enough uh, beer outside of BC and Ontario. But, like, realistically, like, they make amazing beer. And, and yeah, so now the fact that you can walk in and pick up some cans, you don't always have to be dealing with growlers. Like, that's a nice change. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, and even... It's gotten to a point now where I'm surprised when I see a brewery has put out a new beer in six pack bottles. Mm-hmm. It's almost exclusively six pack cans. Yeah, um, and I think I think that probably there's several reasons for this. One, I think cans have become kind of destigmatized. Yes, I think that's a big a, part of it. There was a long time when canned beer was considered lower quality, and people thought cans added flavor and it was tinny and like. It was just crappy beer that was in cans. Mm-hmm. So I think canning has become destigmatized. Um, cans are better for the beer. It is there. It's a more stable um, vessel. Yeah, which I I think that's a big part of it. Um, and also, I think that um, it's become easier to can. And I don't like I don't have any insider information on this or anything like that. But I know there's a company called West Coast Canning. Yeah that has a mobile canning line that will show up at your brewery, run a bunch of cans, slap some stickers on it, and off you go. You got canned beer product. I, I know there was a big rise of that in the States as well. I know that um, a lot of newer breweries in San Diego were dealing with a similar thing. I, I have to imagine that's like whatever the whatever the trend is in terms of like businesses centered around mobile canning for breweries, like that must like that's a win-win situation for on both sides. Oh, totally. Um, so yeah, that is, that's my, my prediction is we're going to see a lot more cans. We're going to see more and cans of different sizes too, in the same way, um, in the last five years that we've seen, you know, you've got your standard 341 milliliter bottles. You've got your, your 650 bombers. There's the 750 mil wine bottle size. Um, you got different size bottles. We're going to start seeing different size cans too. You've already got your standard six-pack, 355-milliliter cans. Um, you've got Tall Boys, which I think come in at 440 milliliters or something like that. But then there's bigger Tall Boy cans, yep. which are 500. There's even bigger than that Tall Boy cans, which I think are like possibly 20-ounce cans that you see. Um, they're popular in the States. Um and then you're getting up to the full, like almost one liter can growlers. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Yeah. So my last prediction for craft beer in 2018, and this ties back to something we talk about sort of on the semi-regular um, about how inclusive craft beer, the craft beer community is. I think that in 2018, the craft breweries are going to have to stop or be pressured to stop being so bro-y. Yeah. Um, I, 
I think we're going to, and this is, I think this is going to happen. And I really hope this is going to happen. I think we're going to stop seeing sexist labels on some, on the, some of the, on the beers. Um, I think we're going to stop seeing sexist names of beers. Um, and I think that this is just something that is like, there's a big movement out there. The sort of the hashtag me too movement is something that the, that craft beer is going to experience. And as much as I love craft beer and I think that it's a re- a inclusive community, it's not without its warts and it's not immune to it's, it's not going to be immune to this. Um, beer has always been considered more of a male drink than a female drink and craft beer is better for that. But craft beer is still heavily, heavily, heavily male. Oh yeah. Um, and I think it's going to have their, the craft breweries are going to have to be, become a lot more, I, I guess a lot more open to and, and accepting and, inclusive of their female customers and also their female employees and female, you know, brewmasters. Yeah. And, 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 and owners and everything. Cause it's not just men that own the craft breweries. It's not just men that run the craft breweries. It's not just men that, um, brew the beer. There's a lot of extremely talented women brewers out there that don't get nearly enough recognition and are kind of in an industry that they love that happens to not maybe love them back. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, like I a hundred percent agree. And, and it's, it's one of those things, um, that, that I think about from time to time, you know, it's, it's easy for us, uh, as, as two white guys to say that we feel that, uh, this is an inclusive community. Um, and, and, and I think, uh, one of the things I, I I agree that like I think there have been some positive steps, uh, especially in like the latter half of uh, the last year, to see that like uh, breweries have to become more aware uh, of the fact that they have a more diverse customer base than they may first think of when when they're picking you know who do we advertise to who do we want to bring into um, into our breweries into this community things like that and. Um, yeah, like I, I, I have hope that that trend will continue. Um, I, we've well, talked about it in a previous episode, but the, even Strathcona saying like, you know, we wanted to name our beer uh, after a Rolling Stone song, but like we realized that that can be interpreted a different way for people that aren't us. And so we're going to do the right thing. We're going to step up, change the name of the beer. Good. Like I, I, am, I am happy to see that because I think this trend, this trend will probably appear in two ways. One is that like you will see some people stepping up and doing the right thing and like being consciously inclusive and yep. you will i guarantee that in the next year you will see other breweries who are less um less aware uh be called out for their behavior and yes. I, I think you're gonna see both and i think you're gonna see unfortunately i hope this doesn't happen but i know it's going to you're gonna see some beer bros who when a brewery gets called out on saw a sexist beer label or a name or something like that a bunch of beer bros are gonna be like well it's just a joke yeah or you just don't understand or that's just the way things are and there's gonna be like there is a faction of craft beer community of the craft beer community that is going to i know is going to profoundly disappoint all of us oh yeah yeah that's the the sad and unfortunate truth is that like that's and and I mean, looking at other 
communities that have been having similar shifts, you know, over the last few years. Um, I, like it, it is a sad inevitability. I think that there will be that, and the and the only hope is that like with enough awareness, you know, people who are visible in in the in the sort of craft beer community for for Canada, for BC, for other provinces, things like that, like they they hold a lot of power to be able to shift that conversation more quickly and in a positive direction, and essentially like be more quick to call out bad behavior. Um, that's something that I would, I would love to see. And I think, I think some people will get there more quickly. Um, again, like there have been some positive steps in terms of like, you see breweries kind of stepping up and saying like, Hey, we didn't ever think of this before. And now that we've noticed it, like we're going to do the right thing. Um, I think you will see that. And I think you will also see people who are dragged kicking and screaming onto the right side of history. Yep. Or they won't. And yeah, there may be, there may be, I mean, again, disappointingly, this is maybe the cynic in me talking, um, there's going to be some breweries that don't conform and they're probably still going to, uh, be successful enough that they're able to keep going. Yeah. Because it is a very male focused environment mm -hmm. and there's going to be enough bros who are going to be totally okay with a scantily clad woman on the label and they're, they will buy the beer and they probably will buy it because there's a, a backlash against it. Yeah. That there's there's going to be some breweries that just don't get dragged kicking and screaming and onto the right side of history and will in in future years go down as be like, yeah, yep. why did why did anyone take that stand? But I think it might happen. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. For some people, this is the hill that they want to die on for whatever reason. And so, yeah. Yeah, I think I I 100% agree though. Like I think I think this is going to be um my my hope is that this becomes part of the dialogue of the next year, right? It's so like too. it's 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 been such a big uh, cultural shift in the last 6 months of of so many people being um uh, being more aware of the sort of long-standing inequality and injustices perpetrated on various communities and so this idea that like uh craft beer isn't immune to that and it would be really nice for that community to be able to look uh, within itself and start to change. Yeah. Uh, in, in some ways that it should. Yep. Yeah. Um, on that somber note, let's uh, call an end to this podcast. Sounds good. Uh, yeah. Uh, this has been season three, episode two of Hoppy Night in Canada. Please, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, reach out. We're on Twitter at HoppyNightCA. Same with Instagram. Yep. Um, send us an email, HoppyNightInCanada at gmail.com. Uh, hit up the website, HoppyNight.ca. Uh, uh, and and, and uh, as always, um, please uh, drop into iTunes, uh, Stitcher, anywhere else you get your podcasts. Uh, leave us a review. Um, Give us a five-star rating. That's the one. We always appreciate it. And tell your friends. As always. Yep. In Victoria, I'm Dave. And I'm John. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.